Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now, Mercery Month 2 is behind us and we are back to... Uh, more military-themed films over the mercenary-themed ones. Um, but we are entering a unofficial a- aviation April, um, and we are joined by Martin Hemingway-Mosley and Zoe Lewin from A Memory Ode, a short film project that you may have seen doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, if you keep up to date with the Fighting on Film Twitter, you definitely would have seen us repost one of their uh, trailers. And we're really excited about this project. It- it's... It really seems like a something that we all could get behind and, and something we could all be proud of once it gets made. So, Martin and Zoe, welcome to the show. Hi, Robbie. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for having us. It's our pleasure. So, maybe to start off with, um, maybe, Martin, you want to tell us about your background in film and, and how you came to get this project going? Oh, wow. How long have we got? Um, so, <laughs> um, I... You can probably tell by the accent, I'm from the West Midlands. Um, I kind of took the plunge like a a lot of uh, folks do, have an aspiration to work in the film industry. And about a decade ago, uh, did the big move down to London. Um, And I I actually transferred in a job in retail to to kind of just get get down there. Um, But I was only down there a couple of months. I found a, um, a delivery driving job for a camera rental firm available. And I just went for it. Um, it was a huge pay cut to take the job and, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it was the, the foot in the door that I thought, well, if I'm ever going to do this, this you know, this is the way to get on the ladder. Um, and I, I worked for the cover rental company that back then was called Procam. Now it's called Procam Take Two uh, Films. Um, 
and started off as a driver with honestly my knowledge was dreadful um absolutely awful i i love movies i love the idea of becoming a director um you know i think that's how all of us start in this game um yeah. but i just wanted to uh to, to just learn from the bottom and getting in at a camera, camera rental firm was even now I look at it as probably one of the best things I could have done. I didn't have an education in film. I didn't go to college or university or film school. Um, I was literally learning from scratch. And, the, you know, the first, you know, um, kind of few months were actually quite embarrassing because I was around a lot of people in the same position as me that actually knew their stuff. And when it came to cameras, people talk about shutters and gain and ISO and exposure. I was like, yeah, can someone fill me in on this? Um, but I I went out of my way to stay over after work, talk to the right people, pick up the cameras and, and teach myself. Well, not just teach myself, but learn from others that were further up the ladder. Um, try not to waffle on about that too much, but a decade later, um, or almost 10 years later, I progressed through as a uh, one of the technical workers uh, to management and then uh, I actually went freelancing camera crew um, where I worked on a variety of formats so you know trained and assisted on feature films for Netflix and Amazon and Sky um, worked on reality TV uh, which some people might turn their nose up at, but it was actually an amazing learning curve. The crews that shoot that stuff, they know what they're doing, and the pressures you're under to get it shot is it's a great way of learning. Yeah, I can imagine so, yeah. Um, mm. So the reality TV world did live concert stuff. Uh, being from the Midlands, I got an opportunity to do Black Sabbath's last ever show as an assistant. That was a, a great memory, great credit nice. as well. Um factual uh, news broadcast. I've kind of been on every kind of set you can think of in the camera department. I've done a bit of operating, but mainly assisting. And while I was doing all of that, uh, my aspiration to direct always stayed. It was always, in my mind, the, the almost unspoken priority. You know, you don't go around as a camera crew telling everyone you want to be the director if you wouldn't get any work. <laughs> um, so, you know, you pick your conversations with the right people. Um, and through doing that, I, uh, in my connections in camera rental and through working in crews, I, I managed to build up quite a, a good little connection base um, to pull people together for my own little projects, whether mm. that was trying to do like a commercial business promo for someone or a music video. Um, you know, it was all kind of showreel building stuff. Um, right. And it was the perfect way to do it because... You know, getting not only getting your hands on the the top end kit that I'd learned to use through camera rental, but also be able to pull the crew together that actually work in the industry to kind of go, yeah, Martin, we'll we'll give up a day or two to kind of help you on this project you got going. It really enabled me to start throwing together low budget projects with with an attempt to give it high production value. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And that ultimately was what led me to the beginnings of trying to start this film. Um, yeah, well, the obvious question is what made you want to tell this story? But this particular story, it actually developed from, I would say, 
caring enough about the subject to do some research. Uh, and what mm -hmm. I mean by that is the the initial what the initial catalyst for this film was um, quite a few years ago, five, six, maybe even seven years ago. I found out about the museum, Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre, um, and with as someone that grew up with a an interest and passion in aviation, I wouldn't say, you know, you know, it's a, a casual interest like many of us. I'm no expert, um, but I understand what people are talking about when you do listen to the experts. Um, and I found out about this museum, and my casual interest and in my 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 wish to shoot fantastic looking stuff. I found out about this Lancaster that was privately owned, and I. Were, and I kind of thought, wow, I'd love to shoot that in some way, shape, or form. I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to film a lank, you know. And I first went about just kind of wanting to shoot some kind of fancy promo idea for the for the museum um, to kind of raise awareness. That you know, the thought being, well, if I didn't know about this place, how many other people don't know about this place? How cool mm -hmm. would it be to do a fancy promo that? Give to the museum, put it on their website, yada yada yada. Um, and to do that, I actually needed to raise a bit of funding initially. This was years ago, and I I didn't quite manage to pull it together. And that was kind of a blessing in disguise because during the first lockdown, I really had to kind of think of what I was doing with this project I wanted to do. And it was actually my wife that turned around to me and said, you need to think about what happens after you make this. You put all this time and effort into this promo. What happens? Where does it go? Who's it for? Right, it goes online. Okay. So realistically, after maybe six months, the majority of people that are going to have seen it will have seen it, and then it's just kind of there. Um, so what else can you do with that idea? And that's where my initial thought of maybe all along this should have been a a narrative piece, something a bit more with some more thought into it than some fancy visuals. Um, sorry, I'm really going on a long route to explain. That's all right. It's no problem. Um, explain how it came about. So, yeah, that that was the catalyst. And then when I when I got to the stage where I thought, right, this is going to be a short film. As a filmmaker, you kind of have two options. You either just focus on the fact that you're making some kind of war film you know and you go cool war film this is going to be great people are going to love this everyone loves war films action yada 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 or you've got the option of kind of sitting back doing your research and finding the real human stories that are in there and without thinking of the big fantastic visual that could be done with such a subject you, you start approaching it from a, a human angle um and that that is ultimately that decision to really treat the subject with some care and um thought and respect is what led me to write this story um so yeah that's the long yeah, cause version I, of it <laughs> yeah because i think for me i think for people that are sort of getting to know the project as you go along i think that does come through in your in your trailer and, and the, the marketing material you sent us, it, it does seem like you're you're going out of your way to show a human element of this story rather than being like, 
you know, oh, I, I want to make sort of the kind of movie that you see in Morrison's for a fiver. I think um, just to jump on that, I think you're right. And actually, it was earlier today listening to your podcast um, on about All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a fantastic film. And you guys are talking about how it's a film that isn't just a war film for the sake of being a war film, but it's a film that has a purpose. Mm. Um, and you know the way that you look at the way that you look at war and how you approach that on uh, the screen. Uh, it's all got to be done in such a respectful way because you're we're not necessarily we don't have a story that's um, a true story in the sense that we're following genuine characters from the past, but they are essentially genuine, and we are sort of depicting how a lot of people lost their lives, and it has to be treated treated with a lot of respect yeah. because we know that this community. Yeah. And it's a big community, but it's a tight community. They're going to pick apart every sort of minute detail of this film. And rightly so, um, they're holding us all accountable, which is great because it means that we're having to do our homework, we're to do all our research. Um, you know, every I is being dotted, every T is being crossed. Um, and we're sort of going above and beyond. And that's all part of our, our marketing and, and our pitching when we're proposing this film, is that we're not just, we don't just have a story about Bomber Command, but we um you know we've really dug deep and we've really done our research on this mm. it comes through as well with people that you've approached um and shown your your early scripts and your your as as i say that you know the, the the marketing stuff that the, the you know the pr releases and things like they're not people that necessarily get asked about films like this so it was nice it was refreshing at least to me and matt when we saw who you were contacting who was dropping these little hints of this script they'd read it was really sort of i i can't think of the word off the top of my head, sort of refreshing in a way that you'd gone down that route rather than being like, look, here's our finished war movie that we've put no research or effort into. Yeah. We just want to make a quick buck. Like the It's all... so nice to hear you say that. And yeah. I, I know Martin will be grinning from ear to ear because kudos to Martin as well, who's done a lot of this all on his own. You know, I sort of joined him about a year ago, but Martin's found this huge community in terms of um, the people who are historical consultants and, you know, they're experts in film and TV and they live and breathe, you know, they love this time period. Um, and so our seven, uh, five out of our seven bomber crew are made up of reenactors who yep. own their own period correct uniform. Um, and, you know, they've done this countless times. They go around tours of the UK, they do um, talks, they do reenactments. They also have film and TV experience. Um, and, you know, Martin's pulled this all together. I, we'll talk a little bit in a little bit about the special effects studio that we're working with. Yeah. Uh, but Martin just off his own back, um, you know, has put together this huge team of experts um, who are all just so willing to help us out um, and get this film made as well. It's, it's really lovely to see. Mm, I agree. When did you start work on the actual project itself, Martin? I, mean, I know it was pre-COVID, but was it better back than that? Or how long have you been working on this so far? Well, if you, if we're talking from the very, very beginning, like I say, I think that was <laughs> five years ago, maybe a little longer. Mm -hmm. um, but from the 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 narrative angle that's that's been from uh yeah first first lockdown covid um and we're on uh I'm, I'm currently tweaking the 18th draft of the script now <laughs> um and that is because because of the advice we're getting predominantly um and it's fascinating to see um how how much someone can find a small detail uh, to do with this subject in a script and correct you on it. Um, 
and it just comes from different people's experiences and uh you know what their, their knowledge and some people are kind of more specialist and knowledgeable in certain areas than others some people have got a general gray overview but not a specific detail um yeah. so that's how it's come about um I mean, I have to have to give a shout out to a chap called Martin Keane from the museum. He um, he's been helping me for quite a few years. On he he's a um, photographer and um, a one of the volunteers at the museum. And I it all came about. I asked him if I could use some of his uh, photographs as like, promotional to promotional uh, material. He said, yes, fine, no problem. And then I just started asking questions about some of the detail. He was one of the first people I spoke to. And if you were to read one of the first iterations of the script, <laughs> the amount it got corrected after the first one, just from, from my ramblings as a filmmaker trying to make something that looks cool, but then to give it to someone and go, right, tell me everything that's wrong with this. And it was basically, everything is wrong with this. I will help you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and well, that's, you know, that's that... commendable of a filmmaker to do that anyway, because obviously, you know, it's an artistic medium and people can be very protective of over, over their babies and they, you know, mm. they aren't always going to be open to criticism. So it's nice to hear a filmmaker talk uh, honestly and, and, and groundedly about taking criticism and really iterating a script yeah. to, you know, until it's exactly where you want it to be. Thank it's you. a unique Thank you unique feeling having your darlings killed i've been there myself so it, it to, mm. to take it on board and be able to run with it and accept that it's not a criticism of your writing but it's maybe it's just a criticism of your you know you don't know the subject matter going into it as much as you'd like but you're still trying to make something that is going to be respectful and yeah authentic um so that is you know very commendable but in terms of it's a question i had in terms of influences of other films um, you know, I what kind of are, are you taking inspiration from any of the classic era fifties war movies like you know Dan Buster's Appointment in London? Is there anything like that that you've drawn in? Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Obviously, you can't approach a film on this subject without considering the Dambusters. But in terms of influence, I'd definitely say Appointment in London is up there. Um, you know, I, I think that film is quite forward thinking for yeah. its time in how it looks at the human experience, the mental strain um, and pressure that, you know, living in that world must have had on those young young guys where... Eight hours of complete hell and threat of being killed, then back at home, baking and eggs, down to the pub with your mates, chatting to girls, and then back out eight hours of complete hell again. You know, we can't even comprehend what that must have felt like, but what we're trying to do with our film is just show a small snippet of, of, of what it may have been like for someone new and young joining an experienced crew and the the mm. the knock on confidence that may have had um but also in the in the, in the wider 
uh, aspects and without without giving too much away um is how war you know the war in general has had far reaching effects on on people up until even now and that's kind of where the 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 past and present day crossover works in our film and I'm not going to say too much more than that um but you know looking at my wider influences i mm. grew up i was fortunate to have yeah a granddad that he was infantry and he i was fortunate that he used to tell me stories about his experience in the war which you know at the same time would be at theirs on a saturday afternoon watching yeah. the damn busters there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jeff the Ruby Kwai. Um, the Great Escape. Um, I'll be hearing his stories about being attacked by stupid dive bombers down a railway line, for example, and that blended in in right. my mind with the with what I was seeing in these movies. So he kind of became an action film star to me. Um, whether he intended to do that or not, I don't know. Maybe he did, um, but um, you know, I was very fortunate to have that, and that was definitely an influence early on. Um, on my love for cinema and film and war movies, especially. But equally, around the same time, um, my earliest memory of actually questioning how a film was made was watching Jurassic Park. And my grandparents had it on VHS. And I, re- I remember I was, I was aware that it, it wasn't real. But the fact that there was these dinosaurs that looked completely photorealistic absolutely fascinated me. And that was that was my first memory of wondering how these movies were made, and that kind of kickstarted it all. And obviously, my love for Spielberg has continued. I'm not afraid to say it. Some filmmakers, I think, can be a bit snobbish, and they don't like to mention, "Oh, it's too obvious." But no, nah, Spielberg is one of the greats. Always will be. Um, but you know, as you grow up, you you discover um, new filmmakers, and you know, you've got. Kubrick, more recently Christopher Nolan, Daniel Villeneuve, Alfonso Cuaron, or Children of Men. He's, you know, superb, one of my favourite films. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not, not not afraid to admit that uh, my, one of my favourite filmmakers is James Cameron. I don't think he gets enough respect from the kind of uh, cinema community. Um, I suppose in some ways he's too much from the from the world of blockbuster land. But when you look at his movies and the spectacle and the entertainment value that he puts into his films and the boundary pushing technology with visual effects, 
But all of his films have always had this very deep, like this very grounded human story, and it's always relatable. Whether it's Sarah and John Connor in the Terminator and Terminator Two, or you know Ripley and Newt in Aliens, um, and or, or, or even True Lies with Arnie and um, Jamie Lee Curtis, their characters, you know, they all 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 of his films have this great entertaining spectacle but the stories are very grounded and there is a lot of influence in that for me they're the kind of films i want to make and that's that's a big reason why i'm so glad we've been able to team up with the in-camera guys to do the visual effects for our film because you know what they're doing with the model i built and the the old school techniques with the new technology that they're doing to to create the the scenes for us for our film you know, are are already looking amazing, and I can't wait. What else we're going to do with that, and see what else they come up with. But you know, so you got that element there. But I'll also say, you know, someone like Shane Meadows. You know, this film is nowhere near as dark as one of his films. But when you see how he shoots things like This Is England or Dead Man's Shoes, there's a combination of handheld, a lot of mid and tight shots. Um, there's, uh, you know, handheld and, and and locked off on grip um, to create a really um, involved and um, I suppose a, a very personal connection with the characters. Um, and so I like to think that, you know, a big, <laughs> in an odd way, you know, imagine a film, a James Cameron movie crossed with a Shane Meadows movie. He's kind of somewhere where my other influences are with this film. And then there's actually a TV series that I love um, called This Is Us. Um, it's just about a family and it's about life and it's beautifully written. But the musical score for that series um, by a guy called Siddhartha Kozla, um, is it's exceptional. It Honestly, it made, in nearly every episode makes you cry. And when you think about it, most of the time it's down to the, the, the music that accompanies the the great storytelling. So <laughs> it's almost my inspiration, you know, other than the obvious where it's more like appointment in London, if you imagine a James Cameron movie crossed with a Shane Meadows movie with the music of Siddhartha Kostler in there to give it that emotion, um, it's, it's somewhere around that. And, um, yeah, I think that's the best way of describing it. <laughs> yeah, like more character narrative-driven piece than an epic. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, because his stuff is filmed in a certain way. There's no bells and whistles. It's people at its core, isn't it? Precisely. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of visual effects, I mean, I know that that is something that people have been excited about because I know the company you're working with are really revered for what they do so maybe yeah. just explain to the to the listeners who maybe don't know because it's quite exciting really what they what they can pull off in camera that's what i oh, really like about what they can do they are incredible those guys um we are so 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 fortunate to have them invested in our projects um and that is because both of the Tommy and James who present the show and, and do all the effects. So the sorry to explain, they're a YouTube channel called In Camera Effects. Yep. Um, 
and they essentially do tutorials on how anyone at home with stuff you can buy off the shelf can create Hollywood VFX, but specifically in camera. So they try and do as much as they can in camera, hence the name in camera FX, um, with scale models and props, but blended with the kind of software that everyone can can use from home um, to get as close to you can to the stuff that comes out of Hollywood. Now they've done yes. they've recreated a scene from Star Wars, for example, with the trench room. Um, they did a, a wet for dry shoot with a with a submarine, and it looks incredible. Mm. And for us, um, I built a off the shelf one thirty two scale Lancaster, the HK model one, and modified it. Yeah, with motorized engines and mid of a turret, um, and a mount at the back, knowing it needed to be attached to motion control. We we built that and modified it ourselves and then gave it to the in-camera guys who have put that to work and built their own custom-built motion control rig um, for both the model and camera to do, um, yeah, the dynamic shots yeah. film. It really is reason. something. It really yeah. is something what they can do. And you can go on their YouTube channel, um, listeners and find their effects reels of the Lancaster yeah. sequences they're doing and it really Very and cool. I think this is where for me this sort of like the 50s element comes in where that was all model work and stock footage yeah, yeah. so you've got this really nice marriage of modern filmmaking but still using those old techniques that it's, echo the past you're precise yeah you're exactly right and it, it is literally that marriage between I think what happens with in the, the film world with technology, we come that obsessed with the new advances that it takes someone. It's like what's happened with virtual production recently, mm. which is essentially a new version of rear and front projection. Now, rear, rear and front projection, they've stopped using it essentially when blue screen and green screen came about. Yeah. Um, and then someone's kind of gone, hang on a minute, LED technology is pretty good now. Why don't we start trying to do that but with get high resolution footage on a digital screen um that's just an example and so what the in-camera guys do is they look at old techniques and they go oh what what can we buy off the shelf that we can do that now with and it's surely going to look 10 times better um so yeah they've actually for our episode they talk about going further than um, the expensive cost of virtual production. And they actually talk about doing a new version of rear projection with some new oh. material, which um, they've got their hands on. And it wow. looks incredible. But they mm. even explain that this is a cheap way of doing what these virtual production stages are doing um, with similar results in some instances, if not better. Mm. So it just shows you what those guys are researching and putting their effort into for their for for the world to see through their youtube channel they're, they're fantastic yeah i would recommend we'll, we'll share some of their stuff yeah when this episode goes live but i would recommend to the the, the foth faithful that you go and check out what those guys are doing because it is it's quite something um yeah it's very cool to see how it's actually done with you know it's such a small model but then you you know you look at some of the the stuff that you shared with us and it it, it looks great it, yeah 
Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to know it wasn't. Yeah, you, could, you couldn't do better with CGI. I mean, it, yeah. it, it really, <laughs> yeah. it's just ridiculous. It's amazing. It's 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 funny. Our early conversations um, when they kind of got involved, they approached me. I did a Facebook post, and I had this idea for an opening shot, and I put up um, a screen grab from the film Sunshine. And I was actually trying to find a CG artist because I didn't even for one minute think anything about practical effects was doable. Yeah. So I was trying to look for a CG artist that might do me a favour. And it was James sent me a message saying, kind of like, dude, I, I, I love your examples. You seem to have a real vision for what you want. We may be able to help. Um, mm. and, and we went from there. And obviously they, they learned more about the project, told us about their connection with Bomber Command and the Lancasters and their family family connection. Um, so from that point forward, it was a case of, okay, how are we going to do this? And we whittled it down to, we're going to have to buy a model off the shelf. <laughs> we could, they were like, we do know a guy that does these amazing custom builds that could do like a one fifth scale. I'm like, yeah, but we realistically, we're not going to afford that. Yeah. Um, so we talked about the 132 scale and we were both like, it might be a little small, and then look what they've come out with recently. Kind of proves actually, you can. Yeah, they kind of they shared they shared some more a couple of days ago, didn't they? And it yeah, it, it's got a lot of the uh, it, it, a little bit more produced. So it shows them. Um, there's a really spectacular bit where they they uh, I think use like an aerosol to fire some like flame over yeah. the the body of the aircraft, and it looks immense. Yeah. Um, from reading the script that you shared with us, I mean, obviously that first opening five minutes is quite, uh, it's it's action-packed. It's not to give anything away to anyone, but it's to board the bomber. Um, so we've talked about you coupling that practical effects skill. Are you going to be building sets? Where are you hoping to film this? Because obviously you need to get those internal shots right to, yeah. to, to immerse mm. the viewer. So what do you have in mind for those that aspect of the production? Well, the one of the um, great things that kind of linked what I'm doing now to my original idea of making a promo uh, museum is not other than the VFX, the entirety of the rest of this film is going to be shot at the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre. So it still brings us back to the museum that I was intending to film at all yeah. along. Um, and part of that is filming on board their their Lancaster, uh, Just Jane, um, which, being privately owned, it's uh, unlike the other one that flies, which is owned by the RAF, so you could not get near that. That is still mm. a registered bomber. <laughs> Technically, it could go to war. Uh, <laughs> but the the um, the one at the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre that they're restoring to airworthiness. Um, I've built up a relationship with those guys through Martin Keane and Andrew Panton from the museum. Uh, his family started the museum and the Lancaster they own, um, we were essentially going to shoot on there. And we. this is part of the next funding stage where we're at is essentially we're trying to raise the funds to get back to the museum, do a night shoot, um, inside their hangar with the Lancaster so there's minimal light spill from anywhere um, and do those interiors to match the VFX shots for the opening scene. That's so great. we'll be filming inside an actual Lancaster. Yeah, I'm going to say another feather to you, Bo. Um, 
So you were talking about the obviously the getting the money together there, and we couldn't do an episode with you guys without telling the listeners how they can help with this project because I know you're you're currently raising the funds. Would you like to tell everyone how they can help you? Uh, yes, thank you for the opportunity, guys. Um, so if you go to our website, which is a memoryoldfilm.com, um, you can get through to our fundraiser there. If you Google a memory old film. If you go onto any of the social media pages, anything to do with a memory old film, um, you, you'll you'll get yourself to our GoFundMe page, uh, which is where you can donate and find out more about the subject and see our teaser. Yeah, it's you know it's worth just going there to watch the teaser alone, and then if you can help, guys, it'd be, it would be great. Um, yeah, and I think you're trying to raise is it fourteen thousand pounds? Yes, for the next stage of filming. Um, that's it. And yeah, that's correct. Cool. And we're we'll we're gonna chuck fifty quid in too, you know. Oh, thanks so much. No problem. That. We'll get that Thank in the you next. Guys. That's, that's, so nice. well, Thank no, you. that's no problem. We'll get that We'd in the be next hypocrites if we didn't support British filmmaking, wouldn't we? So yeah, you know exactly. I mean that's the whole point of the show. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's all right. also just just to jump in there is also such an honor because I I have listened to your podcast a lot. Um, and you know, I, I studied history at university, and I've always loved war films. And I never actually thought that one day I'd be making my own, let alone talking about it on a podcast. So honestly, guys, it, it's a real honour to be talking with you, and oh, thank you for all the work that you do as well. Too kind. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, so to kind of wrap up, when you know, once you get funding and, and you're ready for your next stage, when when are you planning on releasing the movie for everyone to enjoy? Um, well, that will be obviously that call comes down to funding, but of course, of course, yeah. I mean, the plan was to try and have it cut by um, at least the end of this year or early twenty twenty four, and then what we plan to do is try and get it onto the festival circuit. But anyone who donates will see the film first through a private link before it is ever public. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll hit the festival circuit with it first um, because that's the best way we're going to get coverage with this film and really get it out there, spread the idea of remembrance, which is what the film is about at heart. You know, we we wouldn't be doing the film justice if we didn't try and get it around the world. And then yeah. after that point, um, it will it will end up um, digitally online. But yes, anyone who donates, they will they will be the first in line to to get a, to get a view. That's great. It's also worth just mentioning that this is, uh, we are using it also as a proof of concept. So the idea is uh, to make the short, do the rounds with the festivals. Uh, we also know that the 80th anniversary of VE Day is coming up in 2025. So hopefully we can, um, there's a bit of longevity with the short as it stands there. Uh, but then also to use this as a proof of concept and um, make something bigger uh, about it. Um, because mm. we've hopefully sort of proving that we can shoot in and around you know, these really unique yeah. aircraft. Yeah, we've made all of these you know, really important connections with uh, very important people within the community, whether that's special effects or historians or scholars or PhD yeah. candidates or the historical consultancy community as well. So we've made those connections. We've, we feel like we've really nurtured those relationships and that's not easily done. Um, and that's not necessarily something you can just do by throwing money at it either. Um, so hopefully mm. this will be something much bigger um, in a couple of years as well. No, that's great. That's fab. I think on that note, we should end the show there. And thanks for Zoe and 
uh, Martin for joining us. Zoe has actually been in hospital waiting room all the way through this. So, you know, amazing. My fingers, she... my fingers grown about three sizes since I've been oh, talking oh, to no. you. Oh my, oh my god. Well, we hope we hope it's nothing too serious and it's uh, it's not actually broken. So that's a fighting on film first, and a guest yeah. coming directly from us from Life Our Hospital. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> but thanks for joining us, guys. Um, everyone who's listening, you can find the links to the Memory Ode film. We'll be sharing them. Um, go follow them on Twitter as well to keep up to date with the film and uh, we'll be back next week with another war film for your delectation so again thanks for joining us everybody thanks Thank for joining us guys thank you guys lovely to see you take care no problem bye bye thanks guys bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.